Well, if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to Joshua chapter 10, Joshua chapter 10, we are continuing our series on what we might call the, Josh, the gospel according to Joshua. All of Scripture points us to Jesus, and Jesus can be found on every page. And indeed, he is, he is saturated this passage this weekend. So I look forward to getting to talk more about Jesus from Joshua chapter 10. If you're using a pew Bible, uh, you can turn that to, you find that on page 346, 346 in the pew Bible. Um, we're reading Joshua 10, verses 16 through 43. But let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Lord, we are thankful for your word, and we thank you that it is inerrant, it is without error, it is perfect, and it isn't a dead word, it's a living word, and it's uh, active in our lives as you use your spirit, send your spirit to work in our hearts. So we pray that you would this morning. I pray that in these pages we would see Jesus, and that he would change us by your spirit. We pray all these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. Joshua 10, verses 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 43. And these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were all wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees and they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took, down, took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this day. As for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and his king with the edge of the sword. He devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, and he did to the king of Makeda just as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel. And he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left none remaining in it. And he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hands, uh, hand of Israel, and he captured it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it, as he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Then Joshua and all the people with him passed on from Lachish to Eglon, and they laid siege to it and fought against it. 
They captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword, and he devoted every person in it to destruction that day, as he had done at Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel went with, uh, went up from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against it and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and its king and its towns and every person in it. He left none remaining as he had done at Eglon and devoted to destruction every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned back to Debir and fought against it, and he captured it with its king and all its towns, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, just as he had done to Hebron and to Libna and to its king, so he did with Debir to its king. All right, if you've, if you've tuned it out, here are the verses to listen to. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev, and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as, as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings in their land at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. I think that we often struggle with the doctrine of providence. With the idea that God really is in charge. That he really is in control. Now, it's not the good times that cause us to doubt the doctrine that God's in charge. Though perhaps if we were honest, those probably should because we don't deserve good things. It is only by God's grace that he gives us anything good. No, it is when hard times come upon us that we struggle with the idea that God is good and that God is in charge. But I'd like to put before you the idea this morning that I think we can find in this text, the fact that when things seem to be upside down, when things just kind of seem to keep piling on, has anyone ever dealt with one trial, one issue, one hardship? They don't come in ones, do they? It is in those times that we can be confident because the Lord is about to do something. He's about to do something to show his power and for the blessing and for the good of his people. He's about to do something to show forth his power and for the good or blessing of his people. Scripture is full of these stories, right? Full of these stories. We, we've talked about Joshua many, many times. I'm sorry, Joseph, many, many times in our, in our conversation about Joshua. And you remember Joshua. You remember Joseph, the story of Joseph. You know, can you imagine his thoughts when he was in the bottom of the pit? when his brothers threw him in there? Or can you imagine his thoughts when he was sold into slavery or or unjustly uh, jailed by Potiphar? Or or even when the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh forgot him when the cupbearer was restored to his position. But all this was, was laying the groundwork. This was God's sovereign hand. It was laying the groundwork so that his power may be manifested among them And the blessing of God might be upon his people. Because how does that story end? God's power to know the thoughts and dreams of men and and, and indeed to to give the dreams to men was shown forth when Joseph interpreted his dream of the years of plenty and the years of famine and he used it for the good of his people. 
for the blessing of his people that all of Israel, 70 or so persons at this point, might be saved. Or think about the the barren women in Scripture. There are a great many. Some of them remained barren, but many did not. You think of Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, and Elizabeth. And in each one of these situations, God was preparing the ground so that his power might be made manifest. And for the good, not just of those women, but for his people. Sarah, you remember Sarah? She had Isaac. You remember Rachel? Joseph and Benjamin, the same Joseph we just spoke of. You you think of Hannah and her son, um, Samuel. Samuel, who would be the, the greatest and last judge of God's people, and it would anoint both Saul and David. Or Elizabeth, whose son John would, would show the way of the Messiah who would come. See, in each one of those situations, God did it in a way that only he would receive glory, but it was always for the, always for the blessing of his people. Or do you remember the story in John chapter 9, the man who had been born blind and his disciples come along and they asked Jesus, so whose sin led this man to be blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus said, neither. It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus spat into the mud and he took it, or into the dirt, and he made mud and he spread it over his eyes and told him to go and, and wash in the pool of Siloam and he came back and he could see. And he did it in such a way that, that he had prepared the ground by a sovereign hand so that his power might be made manifest and for the blessing of this man. But not just this man, because he went and told everybody about what Jesus had done. And he, and he went and talked to the Jews, and, and they said, who is this man? He said, I don't know, but look, he just made me see. I've already told you once, go ask him. And then he went and found Jesus. Or Paul, that we see the power of God's forgiveness. Anybody need forgiveness here? The power of God's forgiveness, that he would forgive such a man as Paul, and then use him to bring so many salvation and preparing that ground even in Paul's ministry you remember when he was jailed in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi he and Silas were together they were singing hymns they were shackled together the the doors were locked and all of a sudden what happened there was a great earthquake the doors sprung free and his shackles were undone and because of this because he had been jailed God's powers made manifest and the Philippian jailer came to know Jesus. And he and his whole household were baptized that very day. God has a habit, a, a way of often in our lives preparing the ground. And it may look like rough ground for us. But by his providence, he's preparing the way so that we will see his power. And we will receive the benefit of what he's doing in our lives. Perhaps you're there now. Perhaps you've been there in the past. Well, our, our text here supports all of this, of course. Um, hopefully, otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, but there's success in Canaan. See, God is preparing the groundwork for this. We saw last week the, the great long day and the hailstones of God. And, and I would like to suggest this is the same day. Now, verse 15 says that the, the Israelites returned to Gilgal. But I, and well, following a whole bunch of really smart evangelical biblical scholars, um, think that this is, if you notice at the very last verse of this chapter, it says the exact same thing. This is a Hebrew way of calling attention to what's going to happen here. Um, if you'd like to know more about that, I'll be glad to talk to you afterwards. But this is, I believe this is the same day, and so the sun is not set yet. 
And the five kings who had risen up against God's people, they had been uh, chased from, from Gibeon all the way to um, Akita and, uh, and, uh, and uh, I always want to say Makeda, that's not right, Makeda and Azekah. They don't just roll off the tongue very well. They have been chased these 18 or 20 miles and now they have holed themselves up at a cave, at the cave at Makeda, Makeda. And, uh, and it's, they're found out. And so the, his soldiers, Joshua's soldiers come to him and say, we found these five kings. And so Joshua says, hey, we can't deal with them right now. Let's roll a stone in front of the, the cave, set a guard outside and then go pursue all the rest of their armies until not a man is left standing, lest they enter into their fortified cities. And so they go and they do this. They strike a great blow against their enemies. And, and there are a few remnant folks who go back to the fortified cities. And these are the people who are destroyed later in this chapter. And so having taken care of this, Joshua, everybody returns back to Makeda and they say, okay, go get these five kings. So they bring the five kings, these Amorite kings, and they they bring them out. And Joshua does something rather odd. He calls together his chiefs, his commanders, perhaps his generals, and says, put your feet on their necks. And look at me when I say this. Put Put your feet on your necks. And look, you don't have any reason to be afraid. You don't have any reason to fear. Be strong and courageous, for this is what God is going to do to your enemies when you fight for him. He's calling upon all the promises that we've read uh, so far in Joshua and reminding them. They have power over their enemies right now. And when in future times, when you wonder if God is going to come to your rescue, when you wonder if God is going to fight for you, when the ground has been sown, ready and ripe for God to do something amazing, but he hadn't done it yet. Remember this. Perhaps you've been in one of those situations. Perhaps you're there now where you need to remember that God has fought for you in the past. But God and his providence may be arranging things in your life. They look like a mess. But even our sin, the Lord uses to weave things together into the tapestry of our lives so that his power may be made perfect in our weakness. And he might bless us in great ways as his sons. And so after they have put their feet on the five kings' necks, um, Joshua takes, well, it doesn't say what he took. It says he struck, struck them and killed them and then hanged them on a tree, on five different trees. And before uh, evening fell, as according to Deuteronomy 21, he took these men down and threw them in the cave, back in the cave at Makeda, and put the stone um, back where it was. And they stayed sealed up even to the writing of this time. Now, there's a shift here in our text, uh, and we find that um, they are going to renew their efforts against these cities that had come up against Israel and Gibeon, and a few others as well. There are a couple cities that aren't recorded being destroyed that have come up. They'll be uh, destroyed later, Uh, but there's actually a map on the back of your insert uh, to help you with exactly what happened. I I refer it to you for for future reference, Uh, but the end result is that they will... Um, Israel will defeat all these cities in southern Canaan uh, and it's done at one time. It's done at one time. Verse 42 sums it up for us. And Joshua captured all these kings in their land at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Why did he do this? Why did he do all this? Certainly it was not in the game plan of the Israelites or on their agenda for these five Amorite kings to come up against them at this time and to uh, lay siege against a city that had just tricked them into signing a covenant with them. Why did he do all this? Why did God do this? Well, the first thing is to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his power. 
these five kings together, these Amorite kings. By the way, last week I said the Gibeonites were Amorites. They were Hivites. That may not matter to you, but I want to be really clear on that. <laughs> but uh, they, these five Amorite kings had come together and they had, um, were waging war against God's people. This is how God solves problems, isn't it? See, God showed up. He laid the groundwork for a bad situation. And then he showed up. He showed up in a miraculous way. This is how God solves problems. He showed up in a miraculous way. He he sent forth hailstones that did not hit his people. And he stopped the very rotation of the earth and nothing bad happened. In fact, uh, towards by the time that the... um, we finally see the closing of the day uh, in, um, towards the end there when Joshua tells them to take down the, the bodies from the tree. This is the same, same day. You know, God has a habit of taking things to the point in our lives where the only solutions are going to be the ones that are going to be supplied by him. Now, sometimes he uses means to accomplish these things like medicine and people or even events, but the Lord works things out in our lives. I want you to think about two things that have happened this week in our own fellowship. Think about Judy Hillman. The last time I saw Judy Hillman at her home, uh, we prayed together because she had resigned herself that she would never receive a kidney. And then the Lord gave her a kidney. Now that doesn't always happen. Not everybody on the list gets a kidney. Not all the godly people on the list get a kidney. But the Lord worked it out in her life. You think about Mary Ann Baker this week. Mary Ann Baker, we've prayed a long time together for Mary Ann Baker that she would get good report from her doctor and she was convinced, that she, we all were convinced that she was gonna hear that she had to have surgery but she didn't wanna have surgery. But do you know what happened this week? The doctor said, you don't need surgery and if you do, it's not a big deal. No one was looking for that result. God has sown things in her life that only he could show up and make it right. You know, our greatest problem, our greatest trial is our sin. Our greatest problem, our greatest trial is our sin. But here's the thing, in a paradoxical way, in order for our sin to be dealt with, weakness had to be found on the cross. Instead of the hailstones of God's fury against his enemies, upon the cross we see the wrath of God poured out on his son so that his enemies might be made his children. See, God had arranged everything, and it looked terrible. Can you imagine those women, his women disciples, really the only ones who stayed true to Jesus, and how sad they were. And that long Sabbath day, as they anticipated getting up early the next morning before daybreak to take the spices back to the tomb and to deal with his body. But God had arranged all of this to show forth his power that in the apparent weakness of the death of our Savior, his power for our salvation, the the gospel, the power of salvation to all those who would believe might be made true and manifest in our lives. You know, we don't have the strength. We are powerless to deal with our own sin. The Bible tells us that in our weakness, God's strength, his power is made perfect. But he does this too for the blessing of his people. See, in this passage we see that they are able to capture all these kings and their land at one time. 
these five kings whom they would have had to deal with one by one all of a sudden were killed in one day. They hadn't planned on it. Nor do we often plan on the trials in our life. I don't really like scheduling trials in my life. I'm full up. There's not room on my calendar, Lord. But the Lord has a way of of sowing things in our lives, of weaving things together so that he will show up and it'll be for our benefit. But perhaps one of the greatest um, benefits of all for them is the southern southern Canaan being taken. But perhaps the greatest blessing of this whole thing is they are reminded of God's power. Being reminded of God's power as we see them with their feet on the necks of these kings, of their enemies, and being reminded that God works for his people and he fights for his people. Our call to worship this morning said, the Lord is a man of war and the Lord is his name. He, he is fighting, he has fought, and he will fight for his people. Well, there are many ways that this text reminds us of Jesus. There are many ways that this text reminds us of Jesus. The first we see with these feet. You know, as the, the chief of the Israelites put their feet on the necks of the five Amorite kings, we are reminded from Psalm 8, 6, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Paul is gonna pick this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and says this is referring to Jesus. See, just as Joshua conquered southern Canaan, Jesus Jesus conquered death and hell. The chief's feet were on the five Amorite kings, but Jesus has his feet on Satan. And one day he will chop off his head per se and throw it into the lake of fire when death is finally defeated once and for all. And we as believers, we share in this victory. That as dark as it looked on that day when Christ died, he was sowing things together that his power might be made manifest and that his people might receive the blessing. But secondly, just as these five Amorite kings were cursed by God because they were his enemies and they were hanged on trees, my friend, the king of kings was slain on a cross, cursed by God, And he too was thrown into a cave. But whereas the five Amorite kings might still be there today, our Savior was raised three days later. That by the power of the resurrection, we might have the forgiveness of sins and that we might have life. The death of the Amorite kings was swift and involuntary, but the death of our Savior was slow and because he desired it. But finally, the Amorite kings, these Amorite kings, they're still there. But our Savior lives. Our Savior lives, and he sits at the right hand of the Father with the nations as his footstool. My friends, we have no power over our sin apart from Jesus. And this Jesus was sent and he came to die for you and for me. As we come to Easter, as we come to Easter, next week we'll come to Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. For the same people who cried out, uh, Hosanna, hallelujah, are the same ones that will say, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Use this time 
Use these next couple weeks as we come to Easter. Do you know Jesus? Do you know this King of Kings? Because one day he will return in power and glory and he will crush Satan under our feet. Let's pray. So Father, we yearn for that day. Lord, when all this is made new, and our struggles and strainings and the trials that you use in our lives to make us more like you and to show forth your power and for our benefit that even these trials will be ended and these pilgrim days will be over and we will see our Savior as we ought when faith will be turned into sight. Until then, Lord, work in our midst. If there are those who don't know you here today, that today they might know you, that today might be the day of salvation, that you would melt hearts and make them yours. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus For these are the two wonders we confess, the the wonder of your redeeming love and our unworthiness. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.